Hebrews chapter 10. So this is our foundation series where we talk about why our church does what we do. It is part lecture uh, and part uh, preaching. So um, normally we just preach, but if you were here last week, we do a little bit of both in this. We try to teach those who may be with us who weren't here with us last year why we do what we do. Uh, and for those who have been with us for uh, since the beginning of this replant, um, reminding ourselves of why we do what we do. And today is a reference community-driven fellowship. Last year it was called Meaningful Membership. Uh, today it's going to be Community-Driven Fellowship. I just want to get a lot of groundwork laid before we get into the passage. This word uh, community is a pretty popular word now. Uh, you'll hear it a lot when it comes to churches. Uh, you probably have a good definition of, of community, a community, but obviously it's gathering with a group of people uh, who have some uh, common goal or common interest, uh, and then they fellowship. Fellowship is to um, get together and to be friendly because you have a common goal and you have a common interest. You gather and you uh, share one's interest and you talk and you um, enjoy each other's company. And I would say um, those words, what does it look like in the church? Now, I grew up differently than some in here may have. I grew up going to church every time the doors were open uh, in the church that we replanted. Um, and uh, we got to church early. Uh, we were uh, almost always the last one to leave. Um, and my dad was a deacon there. Uh, and then we had, um, if you remember, we had uh, choir practice for youth, like at 4 o'clock. We had uh, I think something else happened at 5, and we had training union at 6. And, and does it sound familiar to somebody? Then we had a 7 o'clock service. It was a long Sunday, especially if you were a football fan. You missed all of that um, back when the Cowboys were actually good, but moving right along. Um, and after service, w would we go home? Oh, no, we would not. We would go eat with Billy and Winky Foot. For those of you who might know him, we would do that. We'd go eat with other churches and other people and, and, uh, and just other believers. And then you would think when we left the restaurant it would be over, but it was not. We then went to somebody's house. And so if you were an ADHD kid whose brothers were old enough to drive and you were all by yourself, brother, you were all by yourself. Uh, and I took many whippings uh, from my mother, and I would just want to tell her, I wouldn't be, she's not in here, so I can do this, she's in nursery today. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have been whipped had they just let me go home, <laughs> amen? But nevertheless. And I have been in ministry since I was 19, preaching. I started preaching when I was 16, and I have been involved in lots of different churches and lots of different fads and things like that. And so when it came time to <clears throat> replant a church, many people asked me, well, what are you going to do? What, what's going to be our program? And, and i got to be honest, I have it's a complete, um, all the cards on the table here. Uh, I have no passion to reinvent the church. I have no passion to make it more relevant or palatable uh, or cool. As my wife has told me, the reason we cannot be a hip church is because I'm not hip. <laughs> I'm not sure what that meant when she said that, but moving along. Um, I have no desire to engage in the newest fads. Uh, some do, and I'm not knocking those who do. I, I just don't. Um, I know that when you're a younger, I'm 45, when some people say that's young, doesn't feel as young, but uh, whatever, <laughs> that when you're a younger church planter or a replanter, in my case, you're supposed to have relevant, new, 
uh, ideas. And, and I would just tell you, my heart from reading the scriptures and looking at history is drawn much closer to an old way of doing things than it is a new way of doing things. And I want our church in a community and a group of fellowshipping together, I want us to look more like a church that maybe Paul or Peter would be familiar with. Now, if you're one of these um, literal people, you might say, well, we got to go meet in a home. Well, brother, what home are we meeting in? This is a pretty good group of people. Uh, so I, I think there's some limits there for sure. But I do think that I want us to see and behave and, and discuss and fellowship like we see in the New, Test in the New Testament. And that's where um, people don't suffer alone. They don't struggle with sin alone. They don't walk the road of depression alone. They don't struggle in their marriages without anyone noticing. But rather, the fellowship, God's community of believers should be a place where people can find some help in this journey that we have on earth. And I don't know about you, but I have grown weary of being involved in churches I'm old enough now uh, that we've had friends that, that were walking with the Lord who are no longer walking with the Lord. And have you not grown weary as a people of finding people who sat with you in Sunday school or sat with you in church or sat with you in mission trips, and yet their marriage fails or they walk away, and then we all act surprised? And I believe the reason those things happen is because we are not in community. We attend but we're not in community with one another. So I want to look um, at what does it mean to be a community-driven fellowship. But before we can talk about fellowship or community, I think we need to talk about what the Bible says is the common thread or the DNA of who it calls, who the Bible calls to fellowship or build community. Here, here's, I'm going to go off, I'm going to be all over the place today. I can just feel it in my spirit. <laughs> the church is not for the lost. The church is for the redeemed. Together, now we've all heard that. You're going, you're not in for evangelism. That's all I'm saying. This thing right here is for the redeemed. To come and be trained and taught and equipped to go do ministry for the lost. This is important what we are doing here. And so there's a reason that's true because the entire Bible is going to say that the DNA of what calls us together to fellowship is that we are believers, that we have been redeemed, that we have believed the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked, so we should answer that question, which we always answer in our sermons at the end, so I've thrown you off a little bit. Um, some of you who have been with us a while just got excited, and you thought, this is the shortest sermon he's ever preached. Have no fear, we have much more to discuss. But it's important that we address this question now at the beginning so you can understand who the Bible calls to community. And here's the gospel, that we were born into sin. No one taught you how to sin. You sin naturally. In fact, you could teach a class on it and be an expert. And that sin separated us from a holy Holy, holy God. And even that holy God, while we were yet sinning against him, that holy God, unbeknownst to my ability to understand, loves us. And he sent his son to live a life that we could never live, 
and to take our punishment on a cross that we richly deserved. And that for those who see that sacrifice and repent, which means to walk away from the direction that you're going, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, because of your repentance, to live differently. That's what it means to become a believer, to to be different. That for those who repent and believe, Jesus takes your sin on the cross and you get his righteousness. And instead of being an object of wrath, but because of our belief and repentance in the gospel, we no longer are objects of wrath, but we are now children of the Most High King. That is who the Bible calls to fellowship. I had a student years ago in student ministry who was not a believer who came to my office one day, and he'd been coming to our church for quite a while, and he said, I feel like I'm a guy on the outside looking in. And a lot of people would want to comfort that. And you know what I said? You are. Because here's the redeemed. This means something for us together. So what are some of these characteristics of new believers? You may say, well, how do I know I've become a believer? I mean, I've said a prayer. How do I know that I'm saved? Or how did I, you know, I repented and I believed because I'm not for a, you know, a particular kind of prayer to pray. Repent and believe is what the Bible teaches. But let you might say, well, how do I know that I'm a Christian? Well, if you meet the God of the universe, you will never be the same again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, Paul says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Now, will you still struggle with sin? Yes, but now you struggle with it. But beforehand, it was your master. Do you see the differences now when we come to know Christ? And so we're new creatures. We're new creatures. We're new creations in Christ. We have a new heart. And it is those people who are called together to dwell in community. But this Christian walk, if you have not found out, is lonely and hard. And if your Christianity is not hard, you're not walking Christianity. Because the entire Bible is going to tell us to battle against the old nature. I've said it a million times and I'll say it again. One of the greatest things about heaven will be that battle will be over. I will never struggle with whether or not my decision is godly or ungodly. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13, Jesus said this. Um, The whole Bible is spoken by Jesus, but I think you know what I mean. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that, that leads to life. And few find it. So if you're here today... And you have repented and believed, and there is evidence of a change in your life brought on by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that you are walking a hard, hard road, and yet it is joyful. But it is still difficult nonetheless. And the entire New Testament reminds believers that this difficulty means we are not home. 
Peter reminds us in his first letter that we will often battle against our old passions and not to conform to them, but to pursue holiness. Jesus and Peter reminds us that we will suffer. Paul reminds us in Galatians that we will be called to bear one another's burdens. Do you know why you're called to bear one another's burdens? Because you have burdens. The Bible assumes that, which is why it commands that. James reminds us to confess sin to one another. You want to know why? Because we sin (laughs) with one another. We do. We sin against each other. We sin with each other. And the Bible calls us to confess that. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we as believers should have unity of mind with one another, that we should have sympathy, that we should have brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble Mind. Peter goes on to remind us that we live as exiles on this earth. And Paul reminds us in Philippians that we are citizens of heaven and we await a savior from there. Paul reminds us in Ephesians to battle against that sinful nature, just like Peter had said, and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, though we are prone to, but that we wrestle against principalities and rulers of this dark world. And so when Jesus says that the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, you need to understand that if you're a believer in here, there is not many of us. And for those few believers, for those of us who have found the narrow gate by the power of the gospel, for those believers... That is the framework, framework of Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25, which we'll now get into the passage. Paul, not Paul, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us to the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God... Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Oh my gosh, are we dead this morning? Did you hear that part? (laughs) And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here's the deal. We have the framework of who believers are. They're the redeemed, those who have put their faith in the gospel, who have been changed, who have found a very narrow and hard way in life. We are told we're going to suffer, we're going to have burdens, we're going to sin, we're going to battle against the enemy, we're going to battle against our own flesh. And it's for that group of people that the entire Bible says it is those who must gather together. And this are this in this passage we have commands, these, I guess you would almost call them encouragements, to consider, to ponder, to think more and more on how we should stir up one another to love and good works. And this passage, this passage is a call for us, the redeemed, to action. It commands us to do something with our community of believers. It does not mean that we just do what we're doing right now. It's not just this. 
It's not just have a cup of coffee and say, how are you today, and come sit in a chair. That's not what it means in its entirety to fellowship. This meeting together in community must be intentional. It is disciplined. It is sacrificial, and it is hard. How many of y'all have ever taken a family trip in a car for a long ways? How long does it take when your kids are small before somebody loses their mind? Amen? And so you gather everybody up, and you put them in a church. Guess what's bound to happen? Problems. And I would say here's why. Because we forget how few there really are of us. It's not that many of us. A little persecution in America would make that very evident. And it is interesting how the focus of all the scriptures of the Bible that deals with the body is never on yourself, but instead takes your mind and wants you to focus on everyone else. Our church, Sovereign Life Fellowship, here in our church, we're not offering any tickets to a show here. There are no opportunities to just sit back and watch or to blend in uh, we, no, we are called, you are called, because there's very few of us, we are called to invest yourself for the gospel of Jesus Christ in a local body of believers. If the Lord allows you to live long enough to do so, then you are to bear fruit in that body of believers, whether you are old or young. There is no retirement from the Christian life while you're breathing air on earth. If you are 30, you need those who are 80. If you are 80, you need those who are 30 because there ain't many of us. Are you understanding that? And all the calls I had for a burglary in progress, I never canceled all my backup. (laughs) But we do all the time because we forget that this journey's hard, and there's not many of us. Our call for this church is that we are not looking for attenders. We are looking for community builders, people who want to stir up one another to love and good works. And so I've said it every year that I've done this, and I want to say it again. If you want to blend in or disappear or sit back, well, you've picked the wrong church. And I'll go a step further. If you find a church in which the leadership calls you to do nothing with your redeemed life, leave that church because you're called and commanded by the scripture to use your gifts that the Holy Spirit gave you to make a church better. I don't care of your age. One of the worst things that's ever happened for young pastors is we've disregarded senior adults as those who don't have anything else to add even though they've walked this journey longer than most of us. And all the wisdom that sits there. And the worst thing senior adults do is withhold the wisdom and say it's time for somebody else. No, it's time for you because you're still breathing. If you can fog up a mirror, (laughs) then the Lord Jesus Christ has a purpose for you in the body of Christ. And we need you. So, that's, none of that is in my notes, by the way. 
to not forsake the gathering is just not church gatherings. It's not just church service. It's to not forsake the assembling of, yes, the entire church, but rather not forsake getting together. We should be people who get together. You see, the Bible is making a rather obvious conclusion, and that is that believers should be driven by community because we are meant to be together and together often. Now, why do we need together? Well, I've said it, because this world is hard. We need to stir up one another to love and good works because left alone to not do life with other believers means that we will have a tendency to not love and to not do good works to not be encouraged about the day, the day of Christ's return. In fact, left alone, we will struggle to battle against our own fleshy desires of our old nature. The Bible assumes that believers who are true believers, who have been changed by the gospel, not only need to be together, but want to be together. That's the evidence of salvation, that you want together with those who are on the same journey as you and some of our greatest joys can be found and should be found among our believing family. In fact, there are days that should be celebrated with other believers, and the darkest of days should be wept by all the believers. To assemble means something. This coming together means something. And when we gather here on a Sunday for a Bible study, or when we gather away for a meal somewhere else, it should mean something. And so this passage in Hebrews commands us to do something with our faith as a community of believers when we gather. Let's unpack it quickly. We are commanded to one, consider, which means to Fix one's eyes on, to discover, to perceive. We should consider how to stir, which means to stimulate, to provoke. We should consider, we should ponder, we should fix our eyes on ways that we can provoke one another to love, which is affection and goodwill, and good works. Good deeds, which, by the way, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, said that those good works were laid out before the beginning of the time for you to walk in. And the way that you walk in those is that you gather with other believers so that you can be stirred into love and good works. Now, what are some of these good works to consider when we gather, well, several things I've already, are already commanded in the scriptures for believers to do when they gather. Um, we've listed some of those early on, but let's do it again, just in case you missed it, because we need to be reminded. Quickly, 12 things. We're going to go very fast, so if you're taking notes, write quickly. Number one, what we said last week, we should preach the word. We need the word preached to us. Number two, Colossians chapter three, we should sing and worship in song. It's there. Worship leader likes that one. <laughs> he told me to add that. <laughs> Just kidding. Number three, Colossians chapter three, still. We should teach and admonish. That should happen in the gathering of believers. Number four, we should, out of Galatians chapter six, we should bear one another's burdens. James five, confess sins to one another. Number six, in James chapter five, we are called to pray for one another. I look forward to the day that our worship services are interrupted by people praying over each other. It's commanded. I would love to not get to preach till one o'clock. You might not. We're still going to preach, by the way. 
bring a candy bar. Wouldn't it be great if we had to just keep worshiping because believers are praying over other believers? We should rejoice with those who rejoice. We should, that's out of Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, we also have weep with those who weep. In Acts 4, and in Romans 12, we have the idea of contributing to the needs of the saints. How would you possibly know what the needs of the saints are if you're never around the saints? 10, out of Romans 12, we are, show, we are to show hospitality. Also out of Romans 12, we should show brotherly affection. And out of chapter 12 of Romans, we are to outdo one another in showing honor. When was the last time that your passion as a believer was to outdo other believers in showing them honor? What a game. We should start that with me. Y'all should out... No, I'm just kidding. You know. Feels weird, doesn't it? Imagine a church where we gathered and we preached and we sang and we taught and we admonished and we bore one another's burdens and we confessed sins and we prayed and we rejoiced for those who rejoiced and we wept for those who were weeping and we found out the needs of the saints and we contributed and we showed hospitality and we showed brotherly affection and then we worked hard to outdo one another in showing honor. That's the church I want to be a part of and that's the church in Acts, which by the way, God did some really amazing things in. I think all these commands are just some of what Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25 is talking about. It can be more. I think that's why it says, consider how. Consider how we could do this. Now, what believer wants to miss out on all of this? Which is why we don't want to be neglecting. We don't want to be forsaking or abandoning the idea of getting together. Not just gathering on Sunday, but together on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday to learn the habit of gathering with others who love Jesus. And instead of neglecting, Hebrews calls us to encourage one another, to exhort and strengthen and instruct. And all of this is done for one peculiar reason. That we remind ourselves of the day that is coming. Because no matter where your heart is right now, no matter how hard the struggle you're going through, when you gather with other believers, there should be a moment when someone looks at you and says, Brother, we are not home. We're not home. But I want it to be home. I know you want it to be home. I know you want it to feel like home. But this isn't home. And so stay with me. Walk with me. And let us look forward to the day that we fellowship forever. I don't know about you. I need to be reminded repeatedly that I'm not home. How many of you feel the emphasis that the world is putting on us to make this home. But it's not. It's not. And when believers breathe their last and we gather, the reason historically the church celebrated the death of the saints is because they're home. They're home. We are the ones to weep because they are where we want to be. But God's just not done with us yet. In the heat of this battle we call life, we are prone to wonder 
into sin, and we are prone to waver from our confession. We sometimes lose sight of the hope we have in God because of Christ. We get beat up sometimes. If you haven't been beat up really good in Christian, in Christian life, let me invite you on church staff. It'll beat you up. It just will. Go on a mission trip, a real mission trip, not a tourism trip. <laughs> Go see the darkest places in the world and come back and tell me why those believers need to be reminded that they're not home yet. Wouldn't you like to have been in the Egyptian church, the underground church, after 40 of their members were decapitated? You know what they better be reminding each other of in that service, and that gathering? We're not home. We're not home. Our freedom in our country and our prosperity in this country is ruining our ability to have community. There is power in the gathered body of Christ. Whether it be this gathering or just a gathering at a restaurant or the gathering of a home. There should be a marked difference when you gather with other believers. Now, you may say, I don't need other people. I'm good. I've got my spouse or I've got my good friend or I've got my dog. I won't even go there. Well, John Wesley said this. There is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. Martin Luther said it this way. He spoke of this stimulating effect of the fellowship of the believers. He said, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. I love gathering with the believers. I feel refreshed when I gather with the believers. And being a member of a local church should mean something. There should be a desire to be around other believers. And when you have been out of town or just away for a while, there should be a longing in your heart to get around other people who know the same king as you do. And all this stuff takes time, takes hard work, it's inconvenient, it is selfless, and it is sacrificial. More than once in my life, pastors, when I was young, would remind me of how difficult the Christian life is and Christian ministry is. And I cannot tell you how many times in my life, one particular one where my wife and I had not had any time together in quite some time, and we had planned a date night at the house. We were, we were broker than broke. Um, I was making $26,000 a year as a senior pastor with three kids. My wife stayed home. Oof. So we stayed home, and we had rented a TV show or watched, I think we had recorded uh, Extreme Makeover, Todd, or T whatever that guy's name was, and we were all excited because it looked like a good one. Got our three kids to bed, not without a few beatings, I'm sure. <laughs> Made our way to the couch, leaned back on the front door. And there was a woman who had been struck by her husband during an argument. My wife goes to the kitchen, starts the coffee, and then we start the process of reporting and getting all that stuff done. I don't say that to say of that about me. I'm saying this to say this about you. 
If you're going to do real Christian fellowship and be community-driven, you have to be prepared for your entire schedule to be changed all the time. That is why we are called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and to confess sin and to pray for one another. When you get the little text on your phone that says there's a prayer request, you know what I would love to see? I don't do it either. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. It's not in my notes. I never put anything about myself in my notes when I'm preaching to myself. Wouldn't it be great that when you get that text about someone needing prayer, that if you had the ability, now I'm not saying it wouldn't be hard, but if you had the ability that you showed up at their house and prayed for them, would that be different for you? We, as a group of believers, need to commit as a church to do life together, that we will invest in our relationships here at church and during the week. We should pick up the phone, reach out to visitors, to other members. We should go have coffee, get together with someone for lunch, get involved in the men's group or the ladies' group, start meeting regularly with a group of people or just one other person. But don't stay on an island. You are not holy by staying on an island. You're unholy by staying on an island. You are called to community. And don't stay on an island and cross your arms and wonder where community is. You are called to community. It's right here, folks. And you're not all going to be best friends. It's impossible for all of us every week to go eat at everybody's house. Although the Suttons invited everybody over today. I'm just kidding. They did not. The scene of their paying attention. <laughs> she went, all right. <laughs> I mean, that would be impossible to do that every moment of your time. But listen, God will join your hearts. You should take someone to eat. Pray for those that you see on the prayer request need prayer. And I think what will happen is you will just naturally, by the power of God, find community. Let's be that kind of a church. The kind of a church that is distinctive that is marvelous, that is grace-centered and God-glorifying. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said it this way. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You want to be a witness for Christ. Be a church that does community. And people who don't know Jesus say, I don't understand that. I don't understand why you took a vacation, but you went to the mission field. I don't understand why you withdrew your family from doing all the things that you did and instead started visiting people in homes and reading the Bible. I don't understand why you started leaving work at a particular time, and instead of going out with us to do this, you went to somebody's house to pray for them, somebody that you barely even knew, but you just went to church with them. I mean, those kind of things cause people to go. There might be something to that. You, you, mean, you mean you gave some of your savings to somebody that you hardly knew just because they went to your church? Yeah. That causes the world to say, that's different. 
if we truly want the glory of his name to be the passion of the church, then it must begin in the way we behave towards each other as believers and members of a local church. Doing church like this is not easy. It's not. But I believe it glorifies God. And it will change your life. And I hope that from now on, on your way to church, after you're done with whatever argument you may be having or whipping whatever child you're whipping or spilling whatever coffee you may have spilled or whatever the things we all deal with, the real life of stuff, I hope you will also say to yourself, I need to ponder. I need to fix my eyes on how I stimulate and provoke the people I see today to love and good works so that they can be reminded of the day that's coming because it's in home. And maybe you take your, your, your prayer text that you got all week because we get them, don't we? Amen? And you read them again. And you say, I'm going to find this one person today that I barely know. I'm going to say, hey, can I just step into another room with you. I got this prayer request, and I know we don't really know each other, but I know this. We attend the same body of believers, which means God brought you to this church, and I've been brought to this church, and I feel this responsibility because the Scripture tells me to ponder how I can stir you up to love and good works, and the only thing I can think to do is pray for you right now because of your prayer request. So can we just step in here and let me just pray over you? That would be weird, Amen. But oh, how good that would be. May nobody walk alone at Sovereign Life Fellowship. May we lose nobody because no one knew what they were going through. Let's commit to that. And after all that, Keith's going to come up here and we're going to sing the songs. I gave you the gospel proclamation already. If you would like to chat with me about what the gospel means or how you might come to know Christ I'd love to share with you. Our elders still stay behind um, and are more available now than ever to chat with you about that. I'm also willing, as any other elder in our church is, to meet with you during the week uh, to talk about what's going on. One last thing. We should never let anyone walk alone. And I want you to know, if you're you're walking alone today, if, if you're struggling with weight and burdens and sin, I want to ask you, don't walk alone. There are people here who will come and help you. There are people who will walk with you. But you got to raise your hand. you got to open your mouth. you got to find somebody. you got to ask somebody to lunch. Or just pray and beseech the Father that someone will ask you. And then church, my challenge to you, find people that you don't know well and invite them to lunch. What if they say no? That's okay. People say no to me all the time. <laughs> People see me on an aisle in Brookshire's and they go the other way sometimes. I'm, I'm cool with that. But keep asking. Ask every Sunday somebody different. And you might be surprised of who God joins your heart to. And the very encouragement that you get from them may be the very encouragement they get from you. And then maybe, maybe nobody suffers alone. 
and we can stimulate each other and provoke each other to, not anger, but to remind each other there's a day coming when we're all going to gather together. And what a day that will be for sure. Let me pray for us. Lord God, you are good. Pray you would drive deep in our hearts a love for believers. Pray that Sovereign Life Fellowship, this body believers that you have started, that nobody will suffer alone, that nobody will desire to walk alone, and that we will never be people who gather on a Sunday but gather at no other time. But we will seek out relationships and that we will remind each other that we're not home, but home's coming. We love you, Lord. Teach us now as we practice Colossians, Lord, as we practice what we see in your word, and that is singing to remind each other of the gospel and the good news that it brings for us. It's your name we pray.